The following audio is from LaGrange Church of Christ, located in Texas. For more information about LaGrange Church of Christ, please visit our website at www.lagrangecoc.com. What should be Jesus' first miracle? We might expect something like feeding the hungry, you know, healing the blind, uh, maybe raising someone from the dead. But no, he turns water into wine. Why this miracle? Why now? Uh, Jesus is not like Oprah. You know, he, he doesn't come out and say, surprise, you get a new car, and you get a new car, and you get a new car. Uh, that's not how he works. He, he's not like Santa Claus. He doesn't give us whatever we ask for. There's a reason behind all of his actions. The question is, what is it? What's going on here? Why does Jesus perform this miracle? Why does he begin to make himself known by turning water to wine? At first, he seems a little reluctant. Mary, his mother, notices the problem and she brings it to his attention. And he says to her, what concern is that to you and me? In other words, this isn't our problem. And what he says next is even more incredible. My hour has not yet come. Why is that statement significant? Uh, Jesus is telling us here that there is a plan for his ministry. There is a plan for what he is to do. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4, we learn that this plan has been around since the foundations of the world. And Mary comes to Jesus seeking help for a problem that is not all that important. No one's going to die. No one's going to get hurt if Jesus refuses to do this miracle. Someone may be humiliated. That's about it. But people are going to eventually forget and life's going to go on. And when Mary comes to Jesus, he says, my hour has not yet come. It's not the right time. This is not part of the plan. And then he performs the miracle. Why? Because Mary asked. Do you think your prayers matter? Do you think your prayers make a difference? This story teaches us that they absolutely matter. Jesus changes his plans because Mary asked. And this is not a small thing. This is a testimony to the power of prayer. Not only that, Jesus changed his plans for the salvation of the world. His plans were the salvation of the world to make sure a wedding party went on for a few more days. There is no problem too small for God to care about. He cares about every aspect of our lives. And we see that here in this story. So let's go back to that, a previous question. Why this miracle? Why make yourself known by turning water into wine? Uh, you know, wouldn't another miracle represent who Jesus was, is and, and what he came to do a little bit better? 
Uh, you know, maybe something like the feeding of the 5,000. That seems to sum up his ministry. To wrap our, our minds around what's going on here, we need to look backwards. And we need to go back to the voices of old, the prophets of Israel. We need to go back to the end of Amos, where the prophet looks forward to what is to come. Amos 9, verses 11 through 13. The prophet writes, In that day I will raise up the booth of David that has fallen, and repair its breaches, and raise up its ruins, and rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom. And all the nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord who does this, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper, and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed. The mountains shall drip sweet wine, and all the hills shall flow with it. The prophets point to a time when God will show up and begin to restore what is wrong with the world. And this is going to be a time of blessing. It's going to be a time of abundance. The mountains will drip sweet wine, and the hills shall flow with it. And this miracle at Cana is a sign for those who have ears to hear and eyes to see. Something is happening. God is with us, and he is doing something new. Now, those of us who are Christians should recognize this. We have a hope that other people do not have. We have a, a vision of the world unlike any other. And we must reflect this abundance that has come into the world through Jesus Christ. The problem is that there are many people who are too busy to recognize it. In Matthew 22, a story that Ray read for us a few moments ago, Jesus tells a story about a king who, who throws a, a wedding celebration for his son. And he goes out and he invites many important and prominent people. But all of them turn down his invitation. The king has this wonderful feast prepared for them. But they're too busy with other things. They're too busy with worldly affairs to take notice. So what does the king do? Well, he tells his servants, go out into the streets and find anyone that you meet and invite them. And so they bring in the disease, they bring in the sick, they, they seek out sinners who think that they're unworthy. They gather the homeless. They gather beggars. And they fill the wedding hall with people who are not expecting an invitation. People who are not too busy with other things. People who are thrilled just to be asked to attend. You know, we often worry about numbers. Christianity in America is in decline. We worry about numbers locally, within our own congregation. We want to grow. But it seems like not very many people respond to our invitation. 
Could it be that we're asking the wrong people? Could it be that we're always inviting people who are just too busy with other things? Maybe we need to turn our attention to the streets. Perhaps we should invite the people who are constantly being overlooked. And we might be surprised by the response. In fact, Jesus says, this is exactly what you're supposed to do. He says, Luke 14, 12 through 13, when you give a dinner, when you give a banquet, when you give a feast, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. We're called to share God's abundance with those who are less fortunate. We are to imitate the actions of Jesus at the wedding at Cana. We're expected to bless others by giving them our best. This is grace. This is what it means to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. We give people what they do not deserve. We give them what they do not expect. We step into people's lives and we give them cause to celebrate and to rejoice. In the miracle at the wedding at Cana, Jesus points to God's abundance. He reveals who God is and what he has come to do. And so with the coming of Jesus, we get a taste of that abundance. And we look forward to the day when Jesus will return and we will experience God's abundance in a way that we have never known before. It could be you're here this morning and you feel that the theme of your life is not enough. Not enough time, not enough money, not enough energy, not enough. And if this is how you feel, you're not alone. Many Americans struggle with this feeling. Uh, Lynn Twist, in her book, The Soul of Money, describes it this way. For me, and for many of us, our first waking thought of the day is, I don't sleep. The next one is, I don't have enough time. And whether true or not, that thought of not enough occurs to us automatically before we even think to question or examine it. We spend most of the hours and the days of our lives hearing, explaining, complaining, or worrying about what we don't have enough of. Before we even sit up in bed, before our feet touch the floor, we're already inadequate, already behind, already losing, already lacking something. And by the time we go to bed at night, our minds are racing with a litany of what we didn't get or didn't get done that day. And we go to sleep burdened by those thoughts and wake up to the reverie of lack this internal condition of scarcity lives the very heart of our jealousies, our greed, our prejudice, and our arguments with life. Does this quote resonate with you? 
Well, there are several reasons why we feel this way. We live in a culture deeply steeped in comparison. We feel we have to keep up with the Joneses. We feel like we must maintain a certain lifestyle or, or that we need to be like someone else. We live in a consumeristic culture that is continually telling us that we need this or that. We live in a culture that tells us that we must do all these things for our kids, and if we don't do them, then we are a failure as a parent. And I could go on and on and on. And there are lots of reasons why we have this sense of scarcity within us, that we just feel like not enough. But I believe underneath it all, there is a spiritual problem. Until we know that God is a God of abundance, we will never feel like we have enough. Until we understand that we have everything we need in Christ, then we will never be satisfied. The wedding feast is an image that shows up several times in Scripture. We find it in Matthew chapter 22. We find it at the end of Revelation, Revelation chapter 19, and other places there at the end of Revelation. It is an image that looks forward to what God is planning to do in the future. When Jesus returns, we will all be invited to a great marriage feast that will go on and on. And we're going to sit at a table. We're going to sit there with God and Jesus and Abraham and Moses and David and Peter and Paul and many, many others. And we will celebrate. We will eat and drink. We will experience the abundance of God's blessings that never cease. And that will be a great and glorious day. But what we learn here in John chapter 2 is that we don't have to wait to taste those magnificent blessings. Jesus has already come. And his first miracle was to turn water into wine. And this miracle points forward, but it also speaks to the present. God's blessings are abundant in this life. John 10.10, it says that Jesus came to give us abundant life. And we can taste of his goodness right here, right now. God loves you beyond measure. His grace is amazing. He's ready to forgive you before you even ask him. The, the psalmist understood all these amazing blessings and, and more. And this is why in Psalm 34, 8, he extended this invitation. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. So have you tasted his goodness? Do you know his love and his mercy? He is a God worthy of celebration. One who comes to the wedding and turns water into wine. Let's pray.
Father, we come to you today thanking you for your abundance and your blessings. We confess that it's easy for us to look at the negative side of things. It's easy for us to get down on ourselves or get down on the world and look at everything that's wrong with our life or the lives of others. Help us to remember passages like John chapter 2 and this wonderful story of a wedding at Cana that remind us of how good you are to us. Help us to live into your abundance, to cherish all the gifts that you give us, and help us to point the way forward to the even greater blessings that are to come. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.